women wearing head coverings in church. I know that there are some churches that get into great controversy about this, but for the most part in the church today, at least in the American church, that tradition of women covering their heads in worship on Sunday morning has been abandoned. Now this passage is replete with difficulties for us living in the 20th century outside of the local situation of the Corinthian congregation. And it raises a bigger question than the immediate question of head covering. And the question is this, what is the Christian's obligation with respect to keeping customs that were kept in biblical times? Virtually every biblical scholar recognizes the distinction between principle and custom. Principles are those commands of God that apply to all people at all time in every culture and in every life situation. Customs are those things which are variant local applications of principle. So many times distinguishing between custom and principle is a relatively easy matter, but not always. Sometimes it's excruciatingly difficult to make that distinction. Let me give you a principle to apply if you can't decide if something's a custom or a principle. Biblical principle would be whatever is not of faith is sin. And so the burden of proof is always going to be on those who argue that such and such a command is custom and not principle. If you're not sure, then the principle that applies is treat it as a principle. Because if you treat a custom as a principle, the only guilt you bear is for being overly scrupulous. But if you take a principle of God and treat it as a local custom and don't observe it, you have sinned against God. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I am your host, Melba Toast. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hello and welcome back to another episode, ladies. Thank you for joining me today. I have a very interesting and possibly controversial topic, as you can see from the introduction, and that is the topic of head coverings. About two years ago, I started really wrestling with this in the scriptures. It was during a phone call with my mother that she mentioned to me that she was studying the topic of head coverings. Now, I had read 1 Corinthians 11 many times, but sermons and messages that taught on the topic were scarce in the churches I had attended for most of my life. And if I had heard an exegetical teaching on 1 Corinthians 11, the issue of head coverings was kind of glanced over and pushed aside for the quote-unquote principle Paul was teaching in the text. Not that I'm saying that it's wrong to address the principle. In fact, the principle is the important part of the text. But the symbol itself was not thoroughly looked at and addressed. It was shrugged off and assumed that it was a text of scripture that was more for the culture of Paul's time and not really for us today. I'm sure that's how most people look at this topic and look at 1 Corinthians 11 when they read it. 
But what was interesting about my mom mentioning to me her decision to study this text was where I was spiritually at in this time of my life. I had for quite some time before this come to the conclusion that I wanted to fully and completely submit my mind, heart, and hands to God's word. Once you address what you believe about the scriptures and come to believe that they are God's very breath and are not only infallible but sufficient to equip you for good works, you begin to completely rely on them to guide you in all areas of life. And the most largest area of my life that needed to be worked on at that time was my submission to my husband. I was struggling with what did that look like? How did I walk in submission instead of using it only when I deemed necessary? How do I, as the church submits to Christ, submit to my husband in all things? Ephesians 5.24 How do I make submission a lifestyle? So, for some time, I had been doing my best to live this out. It was, of course, during a time of failing to live up to my desires to be submissive that my mom wrestling with the same issue, studied this text, and had decided to wear a head covering. So I, too, decided to study. Now, it's been a very long process. Reading scripture, articles, looking at the words in Greek, listening to sermons, looking at commentaries, meditating and reading again and again. There's a lot that I learned, historically, that was even fascinating. Things such as the claim that Paul wrote with culture in mind so as not to offend new believers. I found out that culture in Paul's day was very lenient on head coverings for women. There are artistic and literary renderings of women without head coverings and historical records of men and women wearing head coverings during pagan worship. Now, what is that matter? Well, it reveals that culture was not Paul's reason, as he goes against culture, to instruct men to remove any head covering over their head, and yet instructs women to have a covering over their head during praying and prophesying. This was opposite of the common teaching I heard on this topic. While the history lesson was enlightening, what really was eye-opening to me was the arguments that Paul used for why a woman is to be covered and a man is not. These are what changed my mind on the issue and are what fully convinced me to wear head covering when attending church. At the very heart of my motivation in this decision is my desire to obey God's word and exalt headship in my life and in the church. I want to give a warning before I really dive in here. I want you to know that this one is not a salvation issue, nor would I separate myself from a Christian woman who does not come to the same conclusion that I have, nor do I think I am more spiritual or more in favor with God because I choose to obey this. I do believe, though, that this is a worship issue, one that comes through careful study of scripture and the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification one that a Christian woman has to deal with as she discerns her behavior and motivation in regards to God's role for her. And two, this sanctifying work involves submission. Head covering means nothing if it's merely an action to be performed. When a woman covers her head, it should be done in response to a belief and a willing heart to submit to the headship of her husband. 
If you are one who does not believe in headship nor cares to submit to your husband, then by all means do not cover your head. The act of covering one's head is a reflection of one's belief. I would urge one who is unwilling to study and understand headship to look at scripture and let it judge your heart, but that would be a different topic for a different episode. I know I'm in the minority here, and that's okay, but I want to show you how I wrestled with this so you too can at least think about this portion of scripture, discern where you're at, whether you need to meditate more on what headship is, perhaps even begin to think about submission in general, but basically to help you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 Every Christian woman needs to really wrestle with this part of God's word. So I just want to show you how I dealt with it. All right, now let's look at the text. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 1 to 17. Paul starts with this portion of his letter with, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. That was verses 1 to 2. So let's address this word, traditions. Paul writes to instruct, clarify, and correct. In this section of the letter, he starts with praising them for adhering to the traditions that were handed to them from the apostles. These traditions, or ordinances as other translations translate the word paradosis, are not mere instructions given by men, but are given by the apostles, who were chosen by Christ to instruct the church in his teachings. These traditions that he will go on to write about in 1 Corinthians are head coverings, the Lord's Supper, and the use of spiritual gifts within the church. Paul addresses these issues because he wishes to correct them in where they go wrong in practicing these traditions. Some of us look at this word and wince. I get it. There are a lot of warnings against the traditions of men. Some of us look at certain denominations and the way they structure the service and judge it to be lifeless. Having grown up in both traditional churches and charismatic churches, I too once thought the same thing. I think it's right to be on guard of these things, but I have definitely come to realize that scripture doesn't reject all traditions, only those traditions that were made by men. It's simple to differentiate between the two because we can easily go to scripture to see what God instructs. Anything beyond that can become a tradition of men. In fact, this is Paul's starting point in addressing these topics, that he, as an apostle, was chosen by Christ to lay the foundation on which the churches of God are built, 1 Corinthians three ten to 11 This is behind his use of the words tradition. These traditions are to be handed down to the churches and to be practiced as Paul, as an apostle, has the authority to institute them. What is wonderful about Paul is that he always gives a reason for the tradition, and the reason is always to the glory of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we will see, Paul goes on, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So, Paul starts with praising them for maintaining the traditions that Paul gave 
for worshiping God when they gather together. And then he immediately gets into clarifying something. He wants them to understand why one of these traditions, the removal of head coverings for men and the act of covering for women, is practice. And this reason is not so they do not offend culture, but because of a transcendent truth, a truth that is rooted in the Trinity, that God is head or has authority over Christ, Christ is head and has authority over man, and man is head and has authority over woman. We will look at this a little more when Paul talks about creation, but continuing on. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Paul now explains that because of the institution of headship, a man is to be uncovered as he prays and prophesies, and a woman is to wear a cover. Why does this matter? Paul states that for a man to cover his head, he would be dishonoring Christ as his authority, and for a woman to remain uncovered would dishonor her authority, her husband. To be uncovered while praying and prophesying was a dis- as disgraceful as cutting her hair short. Now look at this for a second and let's think about an objection or a thought that might come up, especially if we were to read further. But I'm going to address it here. So there are some who say that the covering Paul really means here is a woman's long hair. They say this because the reading that is to come in verse 15 will say that a woman's hair was given to her for a covering. And there's two things here. One I will address and the other I'll give you resources to study on your own. So number one is that to claim that the hair is the cover messes with the text that we are currently looking at. Paul has just stated that if a woman is uncovered, then she might as well cut her hair. If the covering is hair length, hair in general, then you can understand this statement to say this. If a woman's head is not covered, which means her hair is cut short, she should then go all the way and just might as well cut off her hair. Well, something's not right there. Why, if her hair is short, which would be a disgrace, would she be instructed by Paul to cut it short? It's already short. (laughs) And we can't say hair itself is the covering because men are to be uncovered, which then would mean men are to have no hair. So the covering is something besides the hair. So then, what does Paul mean when he says that a woman's hair is given to her as a cover. Well, textual scholars see that the word covering used in verse 4 is a different Greek word for the word covering used in verse 15. I've supplied you guys with some resources in this episode's details that you can go into study on your own. They explain how these two Greek words are commonly used and are different in their literal translation. But let's continue. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Creation. 
That man was created first, and then Eve was created from the rib of man is the argument for why women are to be covered when praying and prophesying. The head cover is a physical symbol of this truth. In the symbol, there are spiritual truths that it conveys. One, that man was created first. In this truth, it is an understanding that man, being made merely as male human, gives him a role to execute, a responsibility to carry out, and that is a role of authority and leading. And two, that woman was made from man. She's equal to him, yet is created to be under his authority to be his helper. She, being created from him, was to come under his leadership. The instructions and purpose for humanity was given to Adam, and God, seeing that he needed a helper to accomplish the purpose, gave Adam Eve. We women should not be offended by this. Authority and submission do not make one more worthy than another. Even in the Trinity, there are roles that the persons in the Godhead perform. Christ came from heaven not to do his own will, but the Father's will, John six thirty eight. Christ, having been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew twenty eight eighteen, he will one day be subject to the one who subjected all things to him, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. In the same way we reflect Christ when we do the will of the Father by placing ourselves under the authority of our husbands. And I'll mention this real quick. One having authority does not make one above or more worth than another. Quote, Jesus is not less valuable than the Father. The Holy Spirit is not less valuable than Jesus, even though his role is not to speak about himself, but instead to glorify the Son. John sixteen thirteen. End quote. That was from Head Covering, a Forgotten Christian Practice for Modern Times by Jay Gardner. When we understand rightly the role of men and women, especially that woman was created for man to be his helper, a word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit and God the Father himself, we can praise God in being made in that image of the Godhead, created to perform that role for our husband and or our neighbor is an astounding way to reflect Christ. But back to our text. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. The second argument Paul gives for why a woman is to wear a head covering when she prays and prophesies is because of the angels. We are not given much information in regards to this, but we can conclude from Paul's statement that the angels are watching. And our obedience to this tradition brings glory to God as the angels observe this symbol displayed in our worship. But what we do know is that this really tears apart the whole head coverings as merely a cultural offense issue. Jay Gardner says this, quote, The cultural argument is built on the premise that this symbol is only for humans and it was important so as to not offend their local customs. But here Paul directly contradicts that sentiment by showing us that we do it for a completely different group of beings. This practice is not just a witness to people, but for angels, who do not change and do not have cultural practices. This, then, is a strong reason for why head covering is timeless and transcultural. 
End quote. Head coverings, a forgotten Christian practice from modern times, page 39. Now, Paul states, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Now, isn't this interesting that Paul should state this? He's anticipating the sinful nature of human beings to show partiality to certain types of people. While clarifying that God has instituted headship and authority, and advocating for submission to those in authority, he in no way minimizes the truth that all are equal because all come from God. Judge for yourselves, he continues. It's, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul now appeals to nature to expose a truth that aligns with the symbol of head coverings, hair length. Long, flowing hair. It is the glory of a woman. I know with our cultural standards of today, women can wear all sorts of hair lengths and styles and still be feminine. But there is something to a woman with long hair. It just exemplifies femininity. So much so that we look at a man who may have long flowing hair and while we culturally accept it, there's still something in our consciences that say it's just not quite right. Again, long hair doesn't take away masculinity from a man. Samson is a good example of this. But that doesn't distract from the fact that God has designed women to naturally grow hair and be feminine in it, and men to have short hair and be masculine in it. Paul, finishing up his clarification and teaching on coverings, then goes back to it being a tradition. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. He plainly states that this tradition is practiced within all the churches. Some people argue that this was written to the Corinthians, who had to deal with certain cultural issues within Corinth, but Paul doesn't specify nor even mention any cultural issue, such as prostitution attire or temple worship customs. Instead, he states that all the churches, those established in his ministry and the ministry of the other apostles, have no other practice but that of their women wearing head coverings when they pray and prophesy. He clarifies that not only does he instruct this act, but the churches of God instruct this act. All the churches of God obeyed these instructions to have men pray uncovered and have women pray covered. In the beginning of this episode, I played an excerpt from R.C. Sproul's lecture on this issue. He points out that the controversy that surrounds this topic is that of what is custom and what is principle. We cannot deny that to one who desires to obey God, we'll clearly see that the principle talked about in this text is that of headship and submission, a principle that the angels observe. So like I said in the introduction of this episode, one should not wear a head covering if one does not believe in headship and submission. Many women say, well, I willingly place myself under the submission of my husband. I follow the principle. The head covering itself was just a custom at that time that revealed that principle. Well, my response to that is, 
Okay, so what custom do we have in our day and age that reveals that a woman practices submission in her marriage? That's a question that I believe people need to answer. What symbol do Christian women wear that reflects headship? In typical American Christianity, we have none. For most of our Christian history, we did, and it was that women covered their heads in the gathering of church worship. Certain feminist movements from the 60s to the 80s assaulted this practice till it was done away with altogether. And like I said, it took me a year and a half to work this out for myself. Given I would drop the study at times merely because I didn't like what the text was saying, but because I had worked out in my heart to resolve myself to live out my life in submission to God, I had to deal with it. Why? Because I understood that my submission to God results in certain acts that might be contrary to my desires. That is what submission is. To subject my will to another's. To subject my will to Christ and no other. And if he instructs me that a certain custom is used to proclaim a truth that God instituted for our good and his glory, then I desire to be willing to comply. There's one more thing I want to say before I tell you how I put this into practice. And that is what, for our culture, this will proclaim. And that's this, that our culture is wrong about gender, authority, and God. When we cover our heads, we are declaring that we believe God's word is true, that he created male and female, equal but different in roles. It symbolizes that men occupy authoritative roles in the family and in the church as God designed, and that women was created to help him take dominion, be fruitful, and multiply. P.S. Being fruitful and multiply does not just mean having babies, but that's a separate episode, Lord willing. I believe the more women are brave enough to put this into practice, for the reasons Paul lays out in scripture, the more it will upset the world. These truths go against what is commonly believed. It will convict them of their sin in these false beliefs and so much more. Quote, They will see enemies of God now worshiping because they had been forgiven and redeemed. They see Jews and Gentiles worshiping together as members of one body in unity. They see males and females worshiping together as equals. In addition to all that, through head covering, our women show all present that their position as a woman is also redeemed. No longer are they at war, usurping and longing for the man's position of authority. Genesis 3.16 Instead, they are content in the role God ordained for them in Genesis 2. End quote. Head covering a forgotten Christian practice for modern times. Page 36 So ladies, this is something that needs to be considered should you choose to cover. Mr. Sproul is correct that at the heart of this issue is faith. Whatever is not done in faith is sin. Should you study, discern your heart, and be convicted, then in faith determine to practice this custom in a heart turned toward submission to God. If you have studied, checked your heart, and are not convinced, then do not cover. For myself, I pray God will bring me to stand for his word over my fears. Should the world one day single me out, on the flip side of this, I do not want to single out women who do not cover. 
I do not believe that for one to be uncovered while praying and prophesying means that I am better than them, more spiritual than them, or even more sanctified than them. Nor will I separate from those who don't. Every woman chosen by God will be led by God to accomplish his will. So, how do I put this into practice? Well, I don't have it all figured out yet, but here's what I've started. Where do I cover? I cover in church throughout the whole service. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church about the way it conducts its gathering and worship. Paul states specifically that women covering their heads is a practice performed in the churches of God when they pray and prophesy. How do I cover? Now, this was an issue for me. (laughs) I have to be honest that I was very self-conscious about this at first and was looking for the most minimal way to obey this. In fact, as I was studying this topic, a statement in a book titled Head Covering a Forgotten Christian Practice for Modern Times by Jay Gardner hit my heart as I recognized just what the head covering would imply to others. Quote, This is the first doctrine that people know women believe when you meet them at church, even before you shake their hands. They may feel judged just by you wearing one, because they are not, and you wonder if they think you're stuck in the 50s. To top it off, your pastors or those closest to you may be concerned that you're embracing legalism. End quote, page 2. At that time of reading this, I was using fabric headbands as coverings, something I knew nobody would be able to tell why I was wearing it. The headband was inconspicuous and culturally acceptable. To the outside world and even the church world, a headband was merely a fashion item. It meant nothing. So I was completely convicted. I then ordered off of Amazon what looks like smaller infinity scarfs and some large scarfs as well. They definitely now will not go unnoticed. I will also note my husband is very supportive. I think at first he was a little wary but talking to him and explaining my motivation behind it, he understands. He understands my struggle with submission and sees how the head covering becomes a tool for keeping my heart in check. We also do not impose this on our daughter. I have not even discussed it with her yet. There are people who look at the text and see it as being applied to all women for all time, not just worship gatherings. But I see Paul's use of the word wife to mean just that, wife. I could learn more on that point, but I trust God will guide me where he desires me to go in understanding this text deeper. And since I believe it is to be applied to wives and my daughter is not one, then we do not expect her to wear one. But I do and have started to explain to her why I wear one. I think she needs to understand headship first, so that's what we're working on. Well, ladies, that's my journey. And it's still ongoing, but that's where I am today. (laughs) What do you think? Want to ask me anything or correct me and how I've dealt with this issue? Feel free to email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. I'd love to see what you have to say. So until next time, I pray you dive into 1 Corinthians 11 and check it out for yourself. I pray that you go to scripture to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, trusting that God grants wisdom to those who ask. May that be a constant prayer on your lips, knowing that he is faithful to give, never doubting as his word is true. 
I pray that you are willing to look at yourself and let Christ's word convict you, correct you, and train you to be the woman he calls you to be. I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.